Luke just told me to knock him dead, and that's not what I'm trying to do tonight. So um, it's a pleasure to be with you all. Um, I'd like to begin with a scripture verse that we'll be looking at tonight, uh, which is a story we had at Mass a few Sundays ago. And this comes from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 10, verses 10, 46, I'm sorry, chapter 10, verse 46 through 52. I just encourage you to pay attention to what kind of words may stand out to you, and then we'll enter into the evening. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen. And they came to Jericho, and as he was leaving Jericho with his disciples and a great multitude, Bartimaeus, a blind beggar, the son of Timaeus, was sitting by the roadside. And when he had heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have pity on me. And many rebuked him, telling him to be silent. But he cried out all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and said, call him. And they called the blind man, saying to him, Take heart, rise, he is calling you. And throwing off his cloak, he sprang up and came to Jesus. And Jesus said to him, What do you want me to do for you? And the blind man said to him, Master, let me receive my sight. And Jesus said to him, Go your way, your faith has made you well. And immediately he received his sight and followed Jesus on the way. As I've been preparing for this talk and thinking about what the last year and a half has kind of thrown at us, and I think a lot of us have each had to admit we weren't ready for what's been going on in the world, I realized how bad it was last week Friday. So at the Newman Center, one thing we do is we encourage students to serve those who are less fortunate than us. And somebody came up to me and said, oh, it's so good that we have these young people like you serving here. And I'm like, I'm really not that young. Uh, This particular woman thought that I was 21 years old. Actually, I trimmed my beard about by two inches this morning. So I'm like, I'm not that young. And she said, well, how old are you? For the first time, I could not remember what my age was. I was like, am I 37? Am I 36? And I was like, I'm, I'm 35, actually. So, and then I, I thought about what has kind of gone on in the past year and a half that made me actually forget what my age was. I don't know if you've had one of those moments where like one year felt like five. And if we maybe look back at where we've been and we look at, look at when the pandemic first started, it was just fear. We saw ships rolling in to big cities. We saw stadiums shut down. We saw the whole world kind of shut down. And a lot of us made vows as we kind of settled in. I will never go back to. I will never go back to being a weekend warrior and letting my kid play sports 24-7 because I can actually enjoy the calm and the quiet. But then we also saw a lot of people find a spirit of anger towards people who were going through self-preservation, right? Going to Walmart or whatever store and getting all the food for themselves and forgetting about the American spirit, which is actually to look out for your neighbor and not yourself. And then we saw race riots, right? Maybe you remember those? 
And then we saw an election, and it didn't end for three more, or almost two and a half months after, right? Remember that? And we're kind of waiting in this anticipation. And then we hear about this vaccine coming out. Is it going to work? Is it not going to work? Are masks working? Are they not working? And then we began this whole finger-pointing process. Oh, there's a vaxxer, there's an anti-vaxxer, there's a masker, there's an anti-masker. And we kind of fell into the trap of the world. And what I believe we forgot is how bad it was like when the churches were shut down and how bad it was when we were, you know, back maybe when the pandemic first started and we've lost a sense of gratitude. You know, we're celebrating Thanksgiving, right? Thanksgiving. And my challenge every Thanksgiving is very simple and it's to not complain the whole day and to think about the simple things that we ought to be grateful for. Usually on my homily I give on Thanksgiving, I walk around with a a roll of toilet paper. And people are wondering, why does Father have toilet paper in my hand? Well, could you imagine if you didn't have toilet paper? I think that's kind of why during the pandemic when it first started, that was people's first thing. Either that or they were full of you-know-what, right? And we we kind of noticed that. And I want to just ask you, have you lost a sense of gratitude in the past few months? I am deeply guilty of that. And I've noticed it even at our Newman Center. I've noticed it at Mass. People are complaining, oh, do we have to do so much Latin? So we switch to English. Can we go back to Latin, right? And then we hear, uh, you know, I go to football practices. I, I help at one week, one day a week, I go to the football practice at UWO. And I've noticed that even the players have forgotten that they had over 100 practices, roughly, without a game. And very quickly, they fell into ingratitude. And then even just kind of like looking at campus. Remember, remember when, when school, everything was online? Maybe you had some of your classes, everything was online. I think a lot of people were simply just not transitioning well out of the pandemic because we got kind of lazy. And one sign of the Lord desiring to work in your life is focusing on gratitude. And maybe as you head into the Advent season, which is like this Sunday, I would encourage you maybe just do this one practice that my family did um, before sports kind of crept in and stole our family time. And one thing that we did when we'd sit around the table, maybe you want to try this during Thanksgiving and just try, try to carry it through, is we would sit around the table, we'd say our meal prayer. Now, I come from a family where my mom was Lutheran, and she's converted now to the Catholic faith, and now she's like uber-Catholic, which is a whole other story. But we'd sit around the table and we'd do our, our Lutheran prayer. I didn't, I didn't know the the Catholic meal prayer, but we did, Come, Lord Jesus, be our guest. Let these gifts to us be blessed. By his hands we all are fed. Give us, Lord, our daily bread. And then before we could eat any food or touch our forks, each person had to go around the table and say at least one thing they were grateful for or they couldn't eat. And sometimes we were stubborn and we, we, we couldn't think of one thing to be grateful for, for that day. And my dad, kind of tongue-in-cheek, would just say, Well, if you can't be grateful, you can go eat at the neighbor's house, Right? And being like five, six years old, you think they're serious because there is this thing called being mind blind. Mind blindness is that actually it's a a type of autism. Some people are autistic their whole life, but someone who's mind blind is unable to think that other people see things differently than them, right? So we would go around, eventually everyone would say what they're thankful for. But I wonder how many of us have fallen into a habit of being mind blind, of thinking maybe somebody else thinks differently than me about things. And what I'm ultimately talking about is the Lord. Is the Lord. Sometimes we approach God as if he doesn't have different thoughts than us. 
And one of the things that we've forgotten, I think, in this whole process of being busy, of being, you know, you know, whatever it is, is we've taken our eyes off of Jesus. We put our eyes on politics. I'm so happy that I've gotten my dad off that. He was like addicted to it for like two or like 40 years of his life. And then all of a sudden I said, maybe try not watching it. And he's like so much happier, right? He's clean. He's clean of politics and not watching the news and getting caught into that. Or maybe for you, it's, it's social media. The past year and a half, we've seen um, addiction, addictions go up, actually. And one of the saddest statistics, it just came out, I was looking at CNN's website, and it said in the past year, drug overdose, de- drug overdose deaths have gone up by 30%. Now, I come from a, from a family where my cousin actually died from a drug overdose when he was 25. So this is like very personal to me, and I don't, I don't know what tragedy or what heaviness you might be carrying around, but I think one thing that unburdens us is being grateful. Being grateful and not taking things or people, but especially our faith for granted. So the first thing I'd like to do tonight is to do this prayer called the Litany of Gratitude. And it's so important that sometimes we just start with gratitude, especially heading into Thanksgiving. And this might be something you want to do with your family when they come visit for Thanksgiving. Because so quickly, I don't know about your family, but my family, sometimes we get into like same old, same old. And we need like a healthy disruption. So what I'd like to do is start with gratitude. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to say the first stanza and then what, what you all respond with is my Lord, increase my gratitude. And if anything in here stands out to you, there's just a simple invitation from Jesus or the Father or the Holy Spirit. That's what they most likely want to talk to you about, right? So we'll do this Litany. And litany is, if you've never heard of what a litany is, a litany is a list. And that's what we have here, a list of prayers. And this comes from somebody online that I follow. Her name is Wholeheartedly Hannah. And she has a whole book of litanies that I've never seen before, but they're all really, really good. And we'll be using two of hers uh, this evening. So we'll begin. Um, I'll begin, and then you'll say, My Lord, increase my gratitude. So let us begin. That you work in all things, the good of those who love you. To see your hand working in my life. To recover what has been stolen. To lift my mind into thankfulness and praise. To cry, it is well, no matter my circumstances. To count my blessings continually. To keep steady faith in your abundance. For better perception of your provision. For deeper trust in it. To remember past provision in times of difficulty. For a heart satisfied in the present moment. For a heart treasuring the gift, the God, gifts over God over our gifts. For a heart mindful of all you have done for me. 
for a heart praising you for all that is to come. For a thankful heart that sings your praise. So we just began with reading from Bartimaeus. So Bartimaeus, just a little bit about that story, he's in Jericho, and Jericho is like right next to the Dead Sea, and the Dead Sea is the lowest place on earth, right? And maybe you feel like that sometimes. You're like, there's like Jericho, and like, I'm almost at rock bottom, right? That's where Bartimaeus is, and he's a blind man, so he can't see. He's also a beggar. But he heard about this Jesus that all these people are grateful for because when they met him, everything changed. Some people were deaf, now they can hear. Some people were dead, he raised them to life. Some people were totally against him and they came toward him. Some people actually were high politicians like Jairus and they came to him in humility, right? And he heard about this Jesus and he's on the roadside begging and he says, Jesus, son of David, have pity on me. He's asking for God's mercy because he probably had done one or two things wrong, which we call a sin, right? The catechism tells us that sins are things that you and I do and we don't trust God. So he had times where he probably didn't trust God. But as he's doing that, as he's calling out, if you heard, the crowd began to rebuke him. The crowd began to rebuke him. But he has persistence. He has persistence because this might be his only time he's going to meet Jesus. And as he calls out and keeps saying, Jesus, son of David, have pity on me, or Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me, Jesus says, call him. Which he's also saying to you and I, every second of every day, call him, call her. And sometimes that's us bringing other people to Jesus. But also, so he's brought in front of Jesus. It says, take courage, he's calling you. So it takes a lot of courage to come to Jesus because sometimes you and I have shame of things that we've done or haven't done, right? Or we have just deep confusion or misunderstanding of who Jesus actually is. But it says, as he's calling out, Jesus stopped. That may be like one of the the most powerful lines in all of scripture that Jesus stopped for this poor blind beggar. And that's what we're doing right now. We're stopping because Jesus has stopped the whole time. He's present here in the Eucharist. He's right here. And he comes to meet you no matter where you're at or where you hope to be. He comes to meet you heart to heart, eyeball to eyeball. And Jesus says, what do you want me to do for you? What do you want me to do for you? What do you want Jesus to do for you? I think a lot of us would think of a lot of different things, but if Jesus is who he says he is, we want to see him. We want to see him. And we have to keep our eyes on him. And it says, after he said this, I want to see, it says, immediately he received his sight. But the difference between Bartimaeus and almost everyone else who encountered Jesus at this point is Bartimaeus began to follow Jesus now not those naysayers who are rebuking him, the the people who are just chirping in the world. And that takes a lot of courage because what he had to do first to do that is he had to throw off his cloak. And his cloak is everything. 
A lot of us miss this in this portion. Before he can do that, he springs up to go to Jesus. He has to throw off his identity, his home, what's comfortable. Even with being rebuked, he found a little comfort in that, in that cloak. And that's, that takes a lot to throw that off. All the things that you and I find our identity that is not Jesus. That was his home. That's everything. He had to throw that off, that weight of the heaviness. And I think a lot of us, we feel that heaviness. Just the heaviness of the past year and a half kind of went through a few things. Like even today, for me, one of my students' grandparent is passing as we speak. Another student just found out they got a new job, right? Another, another student just told me, a family member of ours just got pregnant, right? Another student saying, I don't, when I go home for break, it's not that fun. It's just like all this heaviness. And the Lord is saying, throw it off. Because that heaviness is not meant for you and I to carry. That's literally what the Lord came to take that on himself. And when you and I try to control things, not that anybody here would try to control things, right? But when we try to, how well does that go for us? And we see that spirit of control in our world today, trying to, trying to control one another. Well, they're wearing a mask, I must control them and not make them wear a mask. If they, they're not wearing a mask, I must control them. And it's like, you can't control what other people do. The only thing you can control, control is what you do. So that's why we started with gratitude. The next litany we're going to go through is the litany of humility. St. Augustine says if you want to ask for three virtues to grow in, the first one is humility, the second one is humility, and the third one is humility. Bartimaeus had to be humble enough to say, I'm sick and tired of being sick and tired. I don't want to do it my way anymore because I keep sitting here, I keep hearing about it, but I want to meet him. I want to meet Jesus. But if we fall into this habit of pride, which I think sometimes we do, thinking that we're smarter than God or smarter than the Catholic Church or smarter than Jesus who proclaims to be God, we need humility as we come before him. And humility does not mean humiliation. So I want to make sure that's clear. Humility does not mean humiliation. Humility is the opposite of vanity. Vanity is... I care more about what other people think about me than what God thinks. Vanity is I care more about what other people think about me or my family or my income or whatever than what God thinks. And humility is focusing back on what God thinks. And deep down, it doesn't even really matter what I think. It doesn't matter what Father Mike thinks. It doesn't matter what the bishop thinks. Like down at the core of things, it matters what the Lord thinks, the God of the universe. And he's asking you, what do you want me to do for you? But if we come to him thinking, I don't need you, you are of no significance, that's pride. So we start with the litany of humility. And some of these words are meant to kind of trigger you. This is the, the litany, the first litany I ever prayed when I was in seminary. And Bishop said, I want you to pray this every day. And after about a week, I was like, this is too much. <laughs> it's a lot. But it's powerful because the evil one can't find the humble. He can easily find the pride because they stand up too high. And the humble, the humble are aware of how small they are and how much God loves our littleness, our childlike hearts. So please respond with the italic words 
on your sheet. And we'll begin. O Jesus, meek and humble of heart, hear me. From the desire of being esteemed, from the desire of being loved, from the desire of being extolled, from the desire of being honored, from the desire of being praised, from the desire of being preferred to others, from the desire of being consulted, from the desire of being approved, from the fear of being humiliated, from the fear of being despised, from the fear of suffering rebukes, from the fear of being calumniated, from the fear of being forgotten, from the fear of being ridiculed, from the fear of being wronged, from the fear of being suspected, that others may be loved more than I, that others may be esteemed more than I, that in the opinion of the world, others may increase and I may decrease. That others may be chosen and I set aside. That others may be praised and I go unnoticed. That others may be preferred to me in everything. That others may become holier than I, provided I become as holy as I should. I'm just going to ask you to maybe just look back through that just briefly and see what was maybe difficult for you to say or what stood out to you. And again, that would be a prompting from the Lord that he wants to talk to you about that. Because in sacred scripture, over 365 times we hear the words, in one way or another, be not afraid. Do not fear. And often when we take our eyes off of Jesus, we fall into fear. Like Peter walking on the water, we all know that story. As soon as he took his eyes off of Jesus, he began to sink. But all he had to do was say, Lord, save me, right? He'd be humble enough saying, I can't do this on my own. I need you. And it says immediately the Lord grabbed his hand and pulled him back into the boat, which is a boat as a symbol of the church. And the waters are a symbol of the world. When the waves are going crazy around us, are our eyes on Jesus. And it's so easy to just start drifting and looking all just away from Jesus. And all the Lord says, be humble, and I'll help you. But it is the prideful that's sinking. We've all found, found ourselves being prideful in trying to win these arguments over sometimes things that are not worth it. One thing, if you're finding yourself in a habit of trying to win arguments... One thing that St. Therese says, and she's our patroness at the Newman Center this year, she says the loser always wins. The loser always wins. She also says the world is thy ship, not thy home. The world is thy ship, not thy home, which means that you and I don't belong here. We are merely pilgrims passing through. And some of us have fallen into the habit of believing this is all there is. You ever felt like you don't belong here? It's because, as C.S. Lewis says, you don't. 
You belong for the heavenly kingdom. That's what you're actually created for. Because our God loves us, you have free will to choose eternity or not. To choose eternity. But the problem is for some of us is we struggle with forgiveness. Forgiveness is the most powerful thing or virtue that you could have. To receive forgiveness from Jesus, right? To go to confession, to repent daily, have that transformation of mind that St. Paul tells us to have because the world is very unforgiving, right? Trying to have this utopian society where no one makes mistakes. There's no mercy anymore. Have you ever met somebody who's unforgiving, who has such a hard heart, is unwilling to forgive? That is like one of the hardest things to deal with. But because the Lord forgives us in confession, and when we repent daily, then we're called to forgive ourselves and forgive others. And when you and I begin to forgive, we don't hold on to the poison anymore of unforgiveness. St. Augustine says that when you and I approach someone that we have a grudge against, not that anybody here does, right? Maybe other people over, you know, like in Hortonville or something, right? But when you approach somebody who has unforgiveness, or we have unforgiveness, it's like we're holding poison around, and we want them to suffer. But when we withhold forgiving them, we drink the poison, and then we suffer. What our world is in need of is always in need of more mercy. And it doesn't mean you have to forget what you've done or forget what they've done, but the Lord says to forgive because he forgives. Even when we feel like we don't deserve it, because sometimes we clearly don't, but the Lord is infinitely merciful. And we're called to forgive ourselves after we receive his mercy and confession and forgive others. Because if we don't, actually what we do is we actually stranglehold the sacrament of confession. And when a priest gives you penance, what it's meant to do is keep your will strong so when you're tempted to, un- to go back to the old way, you don't. So penance actually keeps you pure and keeps you whole and keeps you strong. And litanies are one way of doing that. Because after Bartimaeus would have been, get, began to follow Jesus, there's probably been an opportunity to say he was sorry, right? Jesus forgave him. He said, he said Son of David, have mercy on me. But then he would have had to forgive too. That's how forgiveness works. So what we're going to do is we're going to pray a litany of forgiveness. This one's a little bit longer because because forgiveness is harder, right? And anything that, again, stands out to you, it's always an inspiration or a prompting from the Holy Spirit. There's there's an invitation there. But again, because our God loves us, he's not going to force himself upon you. But if you're carrying the forgiveness, or if you're carrying the, I'm sorry, the cup of poison, of unforgiveness, there's probably an invitation with this to start that process of forgiving. So we'll pray. For the times I passed on hurt out of my own hurt. For the times I knew not what I did. For the times it was my intention to wound. For my blunders and mistakes. For all I would take back if I could. For my broken boundaries. For my suffering relationships. For holding grudges. For withholding forgiveness. For excessive self-protection. That my capacity to hurt 
is my capacity to be to love instead. That you see all my works, good and bad. That I may receive mercy by showing mercy. That healing can happen on this side of heaven. That you run to me upon the sight of my return to you. That you celebrate second chances. That you sent your only son as expiation for our sins. That you do not withhold forgiveness from a truly contrite heart. To honor loving boundaries. That you help me to live a righteous life. For a heart set in forgiveness so that I may be forgiven too. For a heart forgiving without an apology. For a heart running to yours in confession. For a heart moving on in repentance. For a trusting heart in your divine mercy. Lord Jesus, you are mercy and forgiveness. Towards those who have insulted me. Toward those who have forgotten me. Toward those who have despised me. Toward those whose blindness has injured me. Toward those whose decisions have wounded me. For those whose sins have impacted me. For those whose selfishness has deprived me. For those whose failings have made obstacles for me. For those who have betrayed me. For those who have misunderstood me. Toward those who have criticized me. For those I have injured by my pride. For those I have hurt with my words and actions. For those I neglected in my indifference. For those I disdained in my arrogance. For those I forgot in my self-centeredness. For those I insulted in my callousness. For those I did not seek to understand. For those I scandalized by my sins. For those who were counting on me and I failed them. For those to whom I was afraid to be a witness of your love. For those for whom I made no place in my heart. Jesus, meek and humble of heart. We'll do that, that prayer at the bottom together. Lord Jesus Christ, you are mercy and forgiveness. You never cease to love me unconditionally, and you are always ready to forgive me. 
Strengthen my will and soften my heart so that with a love ever more like yours, I may truly forgive all those who have hurt me in any way and always be ready to seek forgiveness from anyone I have harmed. Amen. I wanted to close with a brief meditation because, oh yeah, after Thanksgiving, it's first Sunday of Advent, right? Sometimes it's kind of like too close, Jesus, right? Could you kind of separate your holidays a little more? But I think in the church's wisdom, she knows that 2022 can't get here soon enough. And 2022 in the Catholic Church actually starts at 4 o'clock on Saturday, when the first weekend of Advent begins. And this meditation is on the nativity. So if you've never done a, a guided meditation, what I'm going to be doing is I'm going to be speaking. And what we're called to do is engage our spiritual imagination, which is something we have to regain, right? Kind of lost that with all these things that you and I go to just based on pleasure. And we've, we've kind of destroyed our imagination. And one thing that the past three popes have asked us to reinvigorate and restart and re-engage in is our imagination, imaginatory prayer. This is a really quick meditation. And as I do this, the first thing I'm going to ask you to do right now is just to take a few deep breaths. And as you take a few more deep breaths, I'm just going to invite you to close your eyes. And if you open them again, you can just reclose them. It's no problem. We're just use our imagination. And as I speak, just to use your imagination, what this might look like. So I want you just to imagine for a moment you're in a dark area. It's a dark, deserted area. It's kind of cool outside. You look up, you can see the stars. But in the distance before you, there is a light. And the more you walk closer to it, you just feel peaceful. All your worries, all your fears drift away. And as you walk closer and closer to that light, you realize it's actually a fire. As you walk closer and closer, you begin to see there's a man building a fire. And there's a woman carrying a child in her lap. And the light and the peace just draw you. The gentleman is Joseph, and the woman is Mary. The child is Jesus. And almost always you would say, I don't, I don't belong here. I'm not worthy of this. But the look on Mary and Joseph's face just welcomes you and Mary just pats the seat next to her and you go sit next to her. Joseph draws alongside you and Mary places Jesus in your arms.
as you hold the Christ child. He opens his eyes and he just gazes at you because he's wanted to be with you forever. And he made himself small because he loves you. And as you hold him, there's just peace washing over you. A peace that this world can't give. And this is the gift that you and I are all called to receive on Christmas. And as you just continue to take a few more deep breaths and just rest with Jesus, we're going to take a moment of silence in that. One thing that was revealed to me by a book that actually Father Michael gave me was that Joseph was joyful to be part of this mission. Because Mary is the Ark of the New Covenant and Joseph comes from a Davidic background. And when David brought the Ark of the Covenant into Jerusalem where it belonged, he danced for joy. And that means that joy, the joy that Jesus brings, Joseph would have been so excited to be a part of this mission. And when you're holding the Christ child, there's an invitation to be a part of that mission. And often we separate Jesus from Mary or Jesus from Joseph, but when they're all together and we're with them, there's a peace that you and I are created for. Often the questions I ask as I go through my day-to-day interactions is, where's Jesus, where's Mary, and where's Joseph? And when they're separated, I have no peace. But when they're together, there's a joy in what I do. And Joseph would have been grateful that he could be a part of that mission to bring salvation to the world, hope to the world that the world can't offer. He would have had humility of being, wow, I get to be a part of this. He probably would have repented for all the times he didn't. That's why we had that, the three prayers we went through. And that same Jesus that looks back at you as you hold him as a, as a child is the same Jesus that looked at Bartimaeus. And he asked you that question, what do you want me to do for you? So we're just going to pause and just sit in silence. Just turn the world off for a moment and to sit with Jesus and just tell him, what do you want him to do for you?